morning, everyone. Welcome. We're glad you're here today. It's good to share this time of fellowship and worship with you, and we welcome everyone today uh, at Community Baptist Church, especially our guests. We're glad that you're here today and hope you'll feel very much part of our family. Um, I'd like to call your attention to a few announcements. First of all, let me remind you of, of the uh, attendance sheets in each row. We'd like to ask if you wouldn't mind to take those and to fill them out so we could have a record of your attendance with us. And also go ahead and take your phones out, check in on social media, and let everybody know that you're here today. And a, a few other announcements I want to call to your attention. First of all, we're going to be doing a deacon election again uh, in a few weeks, and there is a list on the table as you go out. If you do not want to be considered for uh, uh, as a deacon for this coming year, please mark your name off of that list so that we don't vote for people who aren't going to be serving. Uh, so if you don't want to be considered, please mark your name off of that list as you leave, or you can call the church office and we can take care of that here as well. <clears throat> Understand we had a, a great weekend with the yard sale, right? Lots of money. Okay, I'm being told that after expenses, we, we uh, made about $3,500, and that's, that's wonderful. Wonderful. All of that, of course, goes towards uh, some of the mission projects that a lot of the mission, all of the missions projects that we have here at Community Baptist Church, and so all of that goes to some very good causes. So thank you for everybody who helped with that, everybody who contributed, and everybody who came and, and bought stuff. So thank you so much for that. Um, our upperclassmen group will be uh, taking another trip on the 17th, so go ahead and put that on your calendar. Uh, we have a blood drive this Wednesday. So if you'd like to volunteer or or to uh, make an appointment to donate blood, please see Jika. Uh, our fall festival is coming up coming up on the 31st, and we're going to do something a little bit different this year. We're going to have a trunk or treat, and instead of having the games and things in here, we're going to have it, everything out, outside, and, and we'll give you a little more information about that as the time comes, but uh, we're going to ask people to open up the trunks of their cars, and we'll trick or treat out of the trunks. So it's going to be a trunk or treat type of a thing. Uh, so that'll be on the 31st. And also on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, we're going to beginning, be beginning a series on grief and loss. Um, Phyllis Warren will be um, uh, teaching that. Uh, we're going to look at a video this weekend, and then after that, there will be a six-week series on grief and loss. And we invite you to come and attend if that's something that's, that you feel like you need. We will be having our regular Bible study at the same time. So you, you can have a choice. You can do what you, what you uh, would like to do at that time. But that will be at 6.30 on, on Wednesday. It's good to share this time with you always. Oh, Phyllis. You're... Uh, I would just like to add that uh, it's not necessarily just loss and death. Uh, we have a lot of heartaches to Maybe uh, you experience some sort of tragedy or loss of health. Just all that stuff. Um, that creates uh, suffering. And one week will be on suffering, not only the loss of the person, but just suffering. Mm-hmm. Suffering. So I want to make it clear that it's not just if someone has died. Uh, 
Yes, thank you. It's it's not just grief as 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 if somebody. I'm not sure if y'all could hear back in the back there. It's not just grief as of somebody who died. It is that, but it's more than that as well. We we all suffer loss in our lives of of different variety, and um and and this will touch on on each of those things and a lot of that. So uh, so come and be a part of that. I think it'll be a great great series. So and thank you, Phyllis, for uh, for for teaching that. Let's stand and greet each other and share the love of Christ with one another this morning.
Loving God, do we try to make your message too hard? I think that sometimes we might. We worry that if we don't study enough and interpret enough and struggle enough and wrestle with the words enough that we won't understand what you really want us to hear. But when we are resting in your presence, we realize that your purpose for not for us is not to make life a puzzle. It's not to make life complex and confusing. You know that we are just plain ordinary people. And we need just plain just a plain simple message. A message like love God with all your heart and love one another. You give us the simple gifts of Sabbath rest and poetry and music and hands to hold and people to hug and comforting words. But sometimes we want to complicate things and make you all mystery. And we forget to look for the mystery of you in the ordinary things of life. And so when we hold out our hands, give us some ordinary bread. And through it, remind us of the extraordinary gift of your body that was broken for us. And when we hold the cup, give us just some ordinary old Welch's grape juice. But through it, remind us of the extraordinary gift of your blood that was poured out for us. And through both of them, O God... Through all of life, we pray that your simple words will be the most profound words that we will ever hear. God is love. Amen. You may be seated.
Will you come down for our children's time, please? You can Okay, for today's children's moment, the choir's got a song for us, and that'll be the. I'm going to take that song and talk about our lesson after they sing. got some big words in it. Uh, accentuate means be positive, and eliminate means don't be negative. And the song's about how you can, with God's help, conquer anything if you'll be positive. Now, two pitchers here. Who thinks they're both half full? <laughs> Who thinks they're both half empty? Okay. <laughs> There's no wrong answer. But with God's help, if you're positive and you think everything's half full, you can take one into the other. And the Bible says, your cup runneth over. So be positive. With God's help, you can do anything. Thanks.
bow for prayer, please. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us another Lord's Day so that we can be here in your presence. We thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for all the things that you are to us. You are creator. You are father. You're king of everything. But you still loved us so much that you provided a way for us. You made your son, who became a man, die upon the cross. We thank you for all the love that you give us. Now, dear Heavenly Father, as we try to give back to you what belongs to you already, please give us a joyful heart, dear Lord, as we give. And use what is given to bless your church and to use your church in this community. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen.
Good morning. Uh, today's God's Word is Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and chapter 2, 5 through 12. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by a Son whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And He sustains all things by His powerful Word. When He had made purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name, He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now God did not subject the coming world about which we are speaking to angels, but someone has testified somewhere what are human beings that you are mindful of them or mortals that you care for them. You have made them for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned them with glory and honor, subjecting all things under their feet. Now, in subjecting all things to them, God left nothing outside their control. As it is, we do not yet see everything in subjection to them, but we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all exist, in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. This is the word of the Lord.
Christine and Heather, and what a powerful song. Very powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Bob Morley was a counselor for a senior high uh, summer camp in California one summer, and and uh, that summer Bob was between his regular jobs, and so he was a little short of cash, and word kind of spread throughout the camp and concerning his financial situation, and so the campers decided that they would take up a little collection, and they raised over $100, which they gave to Bob. Now, the camp traditionally had a farewell party on the last day of camp every every week, and um, and the youth would always pitch in some money, and one of the counselors would go into town and, and buy a bunch of snack food and soft drinks and things like that. And Bob immediately realized that what they had given him was the money that the campers had intended for the soft drinks and the and the the junk food for the party. And so his first impulse was to take some of that money and to go buy some Cokes and cookies and things like that. But then he heard this little voice inside of him saying, Don't rob them of the joy of giving. So they had their farewell party, as usual, on the last night of camp. But instead of soft drinks and, uh, and, and things like that, they drank water served in little Dixie cups. <laughs> and instead of eating cookies and candies and things like that, they had some dried up old crackers that somebody found back in the back of the pantry in the kitchen of the camp. So it didn't really seem like much of a celebration. However, for some unknown reason, that celebration was the best farewell party that they had ever experienced. You see, those campers, perhaps for the first time in their lives, experienced the joy of sacrificial giving. They had sacrificed their own self-interest and turned their attention to somebody else. And as Bob puts it, those little cups of water and those crumbly crackers constituted for us what communion was meant to be. Not a solemn ritual, but a celebration of mutual self-giving. 
My friends, today we are joining millions of sisters and brothers around the world as we come to the Lord's table and celebrate World Communion Sunday. This day reminds us that we are all one in Jesus Christ. All across this world, different languages are being spoken, different traditions are being observed, different theology is being expressed concerning what takes place with the, the bread and the cup. But our unity in Jesus Christ is unbroken. So let, let's lay a little foundation for our celebration of this sacred meal for today. Imagine with me for a moment, if you would, uh, that somebody that you know, maybe a friend or a co-worker or somebody like that, comes to you and asks you a question. And the question is, they, they, they would say, I've noticed that you're a Christian. And I noticed that you go to church every week. So what can you tell me about the Christian faith? If somebody asked you that question, how would you answer it? Where would you start? Well, the author of Hebrews started at the very beginning. And it's a wonderful book. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Read the whole thing. It's, it's, a great, it's great theology and great, it's well written and it's just a wonderful book. But he starts at the very beginning. He starts with the book of Genesis. And the things that he says about who Christ is and about who we are as followers of Christ are really quite remarkable. And the first thing that he says to us is that Jesus is the mirror image of God. Let me read the exact words that he says here, that he uses here in Hebrews 1.3. Speaking about Jesus, he says, He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all, three, all things through his powerful word. Wow! Now those are some pretty impressive words to be said about a humble carpenter from Nazareth, aren't they? But it just goes to show you that you can't judge where a person will end up by where that person has begun. Let me give you an example of that. When Harry and Ada May had their first child, they named her Sandra. And they had to travel over 200 miles to El Paso, Texas for, for the baby to be delivered, for Sandra to be delivered. That was the closest hospital to where they lived. 200 miles. And when they brought Sandra home, it was to their ranch on the Arizona-New Mexico border where life was not very easy for them at all. They were living in a little adobe house that had no electricity, no running water. There was no school within driving distance. And, and with such, such a bleak beginning, anyone would have thought that Sandra's future was probably pretty limited. But when Sandra was four years old, her mother began to educate her at home. And she was very diligent about, about it. She read to Sandra hour after hour after hour. And later, Sandra was sent off to the best boarding schools that they could afford because they were determined to send her to college. 
Her father, Harry, had himself wanted to go to Stanford University and, and, and was making plans to do that, but his plans were thwarted because his father died just before he was about to enter into Stanford. And so he had to take over the management of the ranch. But Sandra did go to Stanford University, and then she went on to law school. And most of us today know her as Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman Supreme Court Justice in the United States of America. You see, you can't judge how a person will turn out by their beginnings. I mean, think about it. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he didn't have affluent parents. He didn't receive any special education, though I'm sure that Mary and Joseph were very conscientious as parents. Almost immediately after he was born, he and his, his family had to flee for their lives, and they became poor refugees in a foreign country. And yet he grew up, and he changed the entire relationship between God and humanity. And so as the writers of the New Testament look back on the effect that Jesus had on everyone who met him, and as they reflected on the nature of his, his death and resurrection and, and ascension, they knew that this was not just an ordinary man. So who was he? What made him so special? Well, he was the very Son of God. Or in the words of the writer of Hebrews, he was the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. Now, that may be a little much for some of us to handle. I mean, we're part of a society who basically has pushed God over to the sidelines of our lives and we've submerged ourselves into a cultural relativity. And, and, and so we, we have to ask ourselves, are we really ready to take that leap of faith and to say that Jesus really is God? Well, as C.S. Lewis pointed out many years ago, we have a, a decision to make. Either Jesus is who he says he is or he's a liar. And the writers of the New Testament are liars. Their testimony is that when you have seen Jesus, you've seen God. And that pretty much sums it up. That's what the whole New Testament is about. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came to us as a human being to bring salvation and fulfillment to our sad lives. I heard an interesting story about Queen Elizabeth II a, a while back. It seems that, that one of the Queen's favorite places is Sandringham, which is her palace up uh, in Norfolk, not Virginia. Uh. <laughs> but apparently she, she likes going up there. She likes nothing better than, than taking long walks in, uh, in, in the wind and in the cold and with her dogs by her side. And, and apparently sometimes she even goes in to the little village of Sandringham and, uh, and shops. The Queen of England, shops. Who knew? Well, she was there shopping one day and a local resident came up to her and said, why, you look just like the Queen. And the Queen replied, oh, how very reassuring. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
Now, don't you think that it's reasonable that the queen should look like the queen? Well, the testimony of those who knew Jesus best was that Jesus looked just like God. And I'm not talking about a physical resemblance. What I'm talking about is that is is the essence of who Jesus is. And so when when Jesus wept over Jerusalem, we can see the unbearable sorrow of God. And when Jesus held the little children in his arms, we can see the tenderness of God. And when he reached out and healed a physically and emotionally broken leper or fed the multitude of of hungry people, we can see the, the deep compassion of God. And when he condemned the the self-righteous and those who exploited religion for their own self-gain, we can see what repulses God. Jesus is the very reflection of God's glory, says the writer of Hebrews. The exact imprint of God's very being. That's who Jesus is. But what he has done is just as important. Because you see, he has tasted death. But we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So here's the second thing that we can say about Jesus. He has tasted death. For whom? For us. For everyone. He was one of us. And he was one for us. When the time, uh, by the time she was 30 years old, Dr. Nancy Wexler was heading up a, a, a commission for the control of, uh, uh, of, uh, of Huntington's disease. They were researching Huntington's disease, trying to find a cure and control of this disease. And one of the commission's projects was a very ambitious research project in, a, uh, in several remote villages on Lake Maracaibo in Venezuela. You see, it seems that there, there was one extended family in that area that has the highest incidence of Huntington's disease than anywhere else in the world. And so Wexler's team began conducting psychological and neuropsychological assessments of the people in that area who had or were at risk of contracting Huntington's disease. And they began to develop a pretty extensive family tree, and eventually they traced this disease back to one woman who lived in that area back in the early 1800s. Genetic scientists hoped that they would, uh, this would lead them to a, a DNA marker which would eventually le- unveil the, the Huntington gene itself, and so they could work on that to find a cure. But after a, a few of the Maracaibo villagers had donated their blood and undergone uh, skin biopsies, this project kind of ground to a halt because the villagers were afraid to give their blood because, well... They'd never given blood before. 
And here were these strangers from the United States taking their blood and just walking off with it. And they, and they didn't trust them enough. They had not, had not built up their trust enough. And, and nothing could reassure them. Even when Wexler explained that her mother, her own mother had died from Huntington's disease and that she was in a way one of them. Even then, they were still skeptical until finally a desperate nurse grabbed Wexler's arm and began pointing at a, at a tiny mark on her arm, a biopsy scar that it was left by a flap of skin that she, had, she too had contributed for analysis. And the nurse says, see, see, she has the mark. And that just proves that she's really a part of the family. And it was then that the villagers began to cooperate. Somebody else has the mark, don't they? The testimony of the New Testament is that Jesus Christ, who is the very reflection of God's glory, emptied himself and became a part of the human family. And not only that, but he also tasted death for us. He was the one who could have called down 10,000 angels to his rescue. But instead, he drank the cup of death to fulfill the purpose for which he came. You know, for most of us, we've heard that message so many times, haven't we? All throughout our lives, we've heard that message of Christ and what He did for us on the cross. And we've heard it so many times that I'm afraid that maybe we're getting desensitized to it. We're desensitized to the radical and life-changing importance of that message. But folks, it is a claim that is so outrageous that it leaves no room for evasion. Either it's true or it's not. And this is where I'm leading this morning. If it's true, then what does that say about us? Now think about that for a moment. If the very reflection of God's glory has emptied himself and tasted death on our behalf, then what does that say about us? Well, I'll tell you what it says. It says that we matter. We matter. Do you hear that? We matter. You matter to God. It doesn't matter what your gender is or your race or your economic condition or your age or your accomplishments or your lack of accomplishments. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left His royal throne in order to give His life for us, then we matter, don't we? Here's how the writer of Hebrews puts it. He said, For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them us sisters and brothers. So you see, we are Jesus' own brothers and sisters, and we matter to Him. Quite a while back, there was a story that came out of Camp Pendleton, California. <clears throat> it was a, just a, a normal day in, a, in the clinic there at Camp, Camp Pendleton. And people were sitting in the waiting room, and a nurse came into the waiting room from the clinic and called a patient's name, Robert McDonald. 
But when she called for Robert, Mac- Robert McDonald, two men got up and started to follow the nurse back to the, to the uh, treatment room there. And, and the younger man noticed what had happened, and so he just kind of held back and said, well, maybe he's calling this other guy, or maybe he didn't hear it right. And, but he went back, and then, but then he just started thinking about it a minute, and his curiosity was piqued. And so Corporal Robert C. McDonald, Jr., age 21, asked his doctor to contact the other man's doctor. And the other man's doctor confirmed that the two Robert McDonald's had the same middle initial as well as the same first name and last name. And that led to a reunion between father and son who had not seen each other for 16 years. Seems that McDonald, the McDonald family had dissolved in a nasty divorce, and the son, uh, who hadn't seen his mother since he was 12, was raised mostly by foster parents. And his father, after spending a little time in jail, said that the judges repeatedly denied him any visitation rights with his son and two daughters. Now the son, who was a maintenance technician at El Toro Air Force Base, was at the hospital to follow up on a, uh, an injury to his knee. And his father, who had served both in the Army and the Navy and now was living on the Camp Pendleton base as a security guard, he woke up on Tuesday with flu-like symptoms and went in to be treated. And a few weeks before this, on the son's birthday, the elder McDonald said that he had cried and he couldn't sleep that day because he was thinking about his long-lost son turning 21. And then he said, if I'd known that this day was coming, I would have been pretty happy instead. A father and son reunited. And folks, this is the story of what happened at the cross. Because you see, because of what Jesus did for us, we were reunited with God. We were brought into a whole new relationship with our Creator. And in the words of of our text, Jesus now calls us His sisters and His brothers. And so this celebration of the Lord's Supper is kind of a family celebration, isn't it? It is. Because we're all God's family. And so today, as you take this bread and this cup this morning... I want you to think about your brother Jesus. I want you to think about who he is. He is the very reflection of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of God's very essence. I want you to think about what he has done for us. He's tasted death for us. Then I want you to think about who we are. We are his sisters and brothers of Jesus Christ. We are his own family, and that means that we matter. And so as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning with millions of other Christians around the world on this World Communion Sunday... We're really kind of having a big family reunion, aren't we? Praise be to God. Amen. We're going to have our... um, We're going to...
have a family celebration here. Communion, we've we've come to that time in our service where we um, celebrate the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And we invite invite everyone who would like to, to feel, uh, to to be a part of this and to share in the Lord's Supper today. Um, Christ never turned anyone away from His table. And neither do we. If our deacons would come forward and go ahead and prepare the table for the Lord's Supper. What, uh, what we will do, we practice intinction mostly here, or a little bit of a uh, both ways, really. Uh, we'd like to begin at the back and come down the middle aisle, and there will be two stations set up here. I'd like to ask, if you would, to take, uh, um, to take the bread at one of the stations and move to the person next to it and dip the bread into the, the cup of juice and then eat the, the bread that has been... Uh, has soaked up the, the, the juice representing the body and the blood of Christ. We also have a traditional method. If you uh, prefer that or if you uh, are not able to, to come forward, if it's difficult for you to come forward, then we'll have deacons who will come to you at your seat and will serve you at your seat as well. On this World Communion Sunday... <coughs> We gather around the table in places near and far, sisters and brothers from all across the world. People are doing this all over the world today. Some are eating sourdough bread and rye and tortillas and crackers and wafers and Wonder Bread. But we're all the body of Christ. Some are drinking wine today, and others are drinking grape juice, and some are drinking from handmade chalices and silver goblets and golden spoons and little shot glasses. And they all represent the blood of Christ. The bread and the cup unite us with everyone across the world who follows Jesus. So this is a family celebration. It's a celebration that reaches back through centuries. And this table reaches all the way around the world. So let us eat and let us drink with joy. The Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took a loaf of bread and He broke it saying, This is My body which is broken for you. Take and eat it. And in the same way, He took the cup after the meal and and He said, This is My blood that is shed for you. Take and drink it all. For as often as you eat this bread and as often as you drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until He comes again. So come, brothers and sisters of Christ. Let us join the brothers and sisters from all around this world today in this family celebration. Let us partake with gratitude. And let's exclaim that. His name is
May the God who is community be with us as we seek to be community. May God bless our dreams and move us in the direction of God's dreams. May we look at each other through soft eyes of compassion and truly respect each other as human beings. And may God grant us the gift of an extraordinary love that flows from the heart of God into the lives of others. We are the family of God. So go, sisters and brothers. Go in the spirit of our brother Jesus. Amen. Amen.